to welcome everyone back to the Duck Pond Wall, a show here on WEHC where we get to catch up with an Emory and Henry graduate. I'm Monica Hall, the host of the Duck Pond Wall, and I am so excited that my guest today is Caroline Mosteller, Emory and Henry class of 2020. How you doing? I'm so good. How are you, Monica? I'm doing great. And let's tell everybody where you're sitting right now because I can't grump about the cold because I know where you are. <laughs> Yes, um, I am in my office at UMass Amherst, um, so I'm in Amherst, Massachusetts, um, and it is, yeah, quite cold. We had about <laughs> 11 inches of snow uh, on Sunday, oh. um, but then that was followed by last night. We had several inches, I think, of sleet slash rain, and now today it's like 42 degrees, so we're okay. Wow. So is it a <laughs> slushy, mushy mess out there? Are you guys looking like you're walking around in a 7-Eleven slush puppy? It's it's a little gross. I will not lie to you. Wow. 42. Well, that's probably, I guess that's an improvement, though, over what you've been dealing with. So good for you. Um, yes. So all right, let's, how did you end up at university? How did you end up there in Amherst? Where in, Is it Amherst or Amherst? Are they picky about the H? They, yeah, there's no H. Um, I definitely embarrassed myself when I interviewed because I did not know that. Um, but... Yeah, so I applied. Higher ed is funky, um, especially residence life. Um, I went through a process called the placement exchange or TPE. Um, and so usually that happens in person in Oshkosh. Um, super fun. Uh, but oh my, gosh. my year, my year, it was all virtual. So we, yeah, you go through, you apply. Um, it's basically this big portal where you can see um, all the schools who have openings. Um, and they can add themselves to your calendar for interviews. You can add yourself to calendars for interviews. Crazy thing. Um, So I get an email from my coworker now, Tyler, um, and it said, we're interested in, you know, interviewing you for this position. You know, we'd love to schedule an interview for later this week, and if you like our vibes, like, you can apply after your first interview. Um, And so that's what I did. I had about 60 interviews that week, about 30 schools total. And so I had multiple rounds with several different schools. Um, and UMass, I had two rounds that week and then a final round the following week. And then here we are. I did James Madison grad school first. Um, so I have my master's of education in college student personnel administration, which is basically a school psychology degree. It's a counseling based program to work in higher ed. Is that a new program or have I just not really heard of that before? No, that one has been around for quite a while. Um, It's actually one of the like last counseling based like higher ed programs in the country. Why did you decide to go that route? So I was an RA in undergrad um, and I really loved like getting to work with students who were experiencing, you know, lots of different things going through, you know, any sort of relationship issue, going through any sort of, you know, emotional issues. Um, And so... I really loved like psychology and sociology behind those pieces. And so I felt like going the counseling route would let me not only be able to go into higher ed, um, stay in residence life for a while, um, but also could open up the path to, you know, going into the mental health field, going into like some sort of clinical work and give me like that basis. So it is a school psychology 
degree technically through the College of Psych. So um, I could go and, you know, do clinicals, things like that, and go that route if I wanted. So you've got a lot of you got a lot of flexibility with that degree then. Well, that's pretty smart. Yeah. But you chose to start out with higher ed. Why? Why did you start with higher ed? <laughs> Me and my friends, we always kind of joke that people end up in higher ed one of two ways. Um, and that's either you had a really horrible time in college or you had a really great time in college. And I would say that I'm definitely the second. Um, I was definitely a bit over-involved, I'd say, in undergrad. You know, I was in like spiritual life. I was in fraternity and sorority life. I was an RA. I gave tours. I was just kind of all over the place. I really loved that experience. And so when I was working at, at Emory, I got to work in lots of different jobs. I stayed one summer and worked and really just found that it's the one thing that like really filled my cup. I was in the civic innovation program when I was at Emory, but I didn't see myself necessarily going into full-time nonprofit work. I felt like I hadn't planned on, you know, even a four-year degree and then think about going in and getting, you know, a master's degree or even like right now we're talking, you know, with my supervisors about continued education is like what... Who, who thought, you know, that that was a thing um, for me? And so I think just having supervisors and folks who really supported me and said, like, you're brilliant, keep going, was like the thing that really helped push me. But it was definitely the right choice. Did I hear you say that initially you didn't even think about doing a four-year degree? I didn't. So I had planned to kind of go into nonprofit work and like potentially like I had worked with a nonprofit um, in Kenya that I worked with throughout college as well. And so I interned for them for several months at a time over the summers of college. When I was graduating high school, though, I had kind of just thought about going and working with them anyways without getting a degree. But my parents, my peers, folks you know, around me were like, you are far too smart to not go get a degree. And that's definitely something that you know, you can feel some type of way about and that's fine. But they were right. Like I needed, you know, continued education. I I think I will probably always be a student. I just love learning. But originally I was just kind of done. Tell us about the place in Kenya. That's a cool story. How'd you get started with that? Yeah. So I used to be like incredibly involved um, in like the Methodist church. And so I went with a church group from... Winston-Salem, North Carolina, which is close to where I'm from. I'm from Lincolnton, North Carolina, so Lake Norman area. So I had attended this like youth retreat that they that this church hosts, and they had this connection with Start With One, um, which is the organization I interned for. So I went on a short-term like mission trip with them, but then after that, I interned with them for like three months at a time over the summers of college. And so I just really fell in love with like what they were doing. While they are technically like a faith-based organization, they have resources for like everyone and they do a lot of clean water work. They do a lot of um, like education building. So like they would sponsor education students into school and things. Um, and there was no like faith requirement. And so I really appreciated that. And so I think that's part of why what they were doing really stuck out to me is because it was faith-based, but they weren't like there were no expectations of anyone. And I really appreciate that type of, you know, community work. Yeah. What else did the organization do? I would say they probably say their main thing is clean water. Um, so they do like clean water education, but they also have a, it's called the Uzima water filter. Um, they created branded 
worked with scientists, et cetera, um, to produce this water filter that we were taking out into like rural, rural parts of Kenya. We went out to, you know, an island on Lake Victoria to do not only clean water, like provision, so giving the filters, showing them how to use it, but also the education behind clean water and like how clean water has to be used, you know, for everything, not just your drinking water. Like you can't wash the dishes in dirty water or you're still going to get sick. You can't make your food with dirty water. You're still going to get sick. You have to use it in all of the pieces. Right. And so just all of that education, but we didn't do this education in the sense of like us going in and saying it, we would host trainings for the leaders of communities. So for some communities that may be a church leader, for some communities, it was political figures, some communities, it was like police and it kind of varied based on where we were. Some communities, it was just the women, like the moms, the grandmas, um, the folks who are getting the water, right? And so we would teach them and then they would teach their community because the research showed that that's what had like the best efficacy in like continued learning and understanding. And so I also thought that was really cool. And then they do a lot of like school sponsorships. So folks from, you know, America, et cetera, funding kids through their education. And so that would include anything from, you know, uniforms, school fees to any sort of trips that schools may do, et cetera. A lot of that is just unattainable for some of these kids. Yeah. It sounds like you're still pretty passionate about it. Do you still do some work for them? Um, I don't currently, but I would absolutely go back. They're really great. Sweet. So how long have you been in this job? I started on July 1st of 2022. Um, UMass is a pretty cool school. It's obviously massive compared to Emory. And that has been a bit of a transition because even when I was at James Madison for my grad program, it was still really COVID times. Um, And so we had, you know, not nearly as many students on campus. Students would get sent home, etc. And so this is like my first like big school, big experience. How many? You know? How many? What's the student body? I think it's like thirty thousand. Oh, they should call it U Massive. <laughs> it's definitely a beast. Part of the reason why I made my decision to come to UMass out of any of the other schools that I um, could have chosen was because UMass has one of the largest residential life like programs in the country. We have like 15,000 students who live on campus, which is unheard. My building alone has 600 students. 600? Well, that's what I was going to ask you was like, so how many students are you responsible for? And let's talk about what you actually do. Do you do programming or are you you the RA? You just make sure everybody has a key to get in their (laughs) dorm. What are you doing? What are you doing in this job? Yeah, I am the residence director of a tower building. So it's got 22 floors. So there are 600 students. I supervise one grad student and 18 RAs. I do anything from like RA supervision to building, you know, follow-ups, maintenance. I, you know, reach out to the folks who would come in and fix things. But I also am working with conduct. I'm working with anything related to residential life. Um, So I support the RAs through their programming. So I am the controller of the budget. (laughs) So I, you know, buy their program supplies. I make sure that their programs are following our curriculum, things like that. And then also any general kind of incident response, care type things. So if any students are experiencing any sort of crisis or any sort of concern, um, I'm kind of that first point of contact for a lot of them. And then outsourcing to campus resources. 
you're like a mom for 600 people. So you're like the old woman who lived in the shoe, basically. Kind of. It's funny, though, because I think since I am still so young, so many of them have no idea, right? If they're not having any sort of concerns or issues or they're not going through any sort of conduct process, to most of them, I am probably a student, you know? Yeah. Um, my building has... So half of my building is transfer students and the other half is multi-year. So I have several students who still, you know, what am I, three and a half years post undergrad that they are older than me. It's just, oh, it's crazy. It's a weird world. That is really funny. I want to remind everyone that our guest today on the Duck Pond Wall is Caroline Mosteller, Emory and Henry class of 2020, who is in residence life at UMass, well, we're calling it UMassive now that we know that it has 30,000 students, UMass in Amherst, Massachusetts. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, you said that you wanted to make sure that the programs that your RAs did were following the curriculum. As an old person, that sounds very organized as opposed to just trying to find somebody to show up and do a whole program now and then. Tell us what it means to have a curriculum for, for residence life programming. Essentially, the goal is just to make sure that we are fulfilling the like needs of our students, but making sure that we're not just providing a place to sleep. <laughs> we are providing some sort of education, even if it doesn't explicitly scream education. Um, and so that may be community building. It may be relationship building, etc. So UMass does have a curriculum that we use. And I would say it's ultimately not that different from what I experienced when I was an RA at Emory. Um, you know, we had guides, we had kind of expectations that we should meet, right? Like healthy boundaries and building healthy relationships. Like those were phrases and comments that we used even when I was an RA at Emory. And I think lots of schools are getting to the point of having at least bare bones curriculums. There are, according to, you know, the higher ups in the higher ed world, I technically, I think 10 tenets of having a curriculum. Um, And I think UMass were probably at seven or eight of those, and I could not name off all of them. (laughs) Um, I would say we're probably at seven or eight of like those main tenants. So we're getting there. But really, the goal is just to provide a well-rounded understanding um, so that our students are as successful as they can be, and recognizing that that success looks different for each of them. And success does not necessarily mean, you know, staying and graduating from a four-year university. It doesn't necessarily mean you know, going to grad school, um, that like each of our students is an individual and that what is best for them and most successful for them is different than any of their peers. That's interesting. So it sounds like in addition to, of course, the academic rigor, then they also get sort of like some real world concepts and some real world lessons from the residence hall programming. That's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So some of the things that we do, you know, relate to diversity and equity. Um, And so It may be something that their RA isn't programming themselves, but they would take them to, say, like some sort of event that the university is hosting. Students may not go to those events, but if your RA says, hey, let's all go grab dinner and then head to this speech, this talk. Right. um, Okay, great. Now you've got a whole floor that can have a cool conversation about, you know, race or social justice or whatever that event that they attended was. And so that's kind of the goal, right, is to have the RAs have the skills to get them into these spaces of education where then they can have like deeper and more meaningful conversations. What are, I don't, I don't expect a, a laundry list on this, but 
what sorts of things do you find yourself um, confronting um, the most? What sort of challenges are young people having that you find yourself trying to help them work through? Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I think every year since I've graduated, so I was a hall director at JMU while a grad student. Um, And so this is technically, I guess, my fourth school year. And I think that each year has seen an increase in students who are struggling to like self-mediate so they can't or aren't willing to mediate conflict with their, you know, peers, specifically their roommates. Um, It's zero to 100 immediately. We will have not heard of a conflict and then suddenly it's the end of the world and they have to move out <laughs> right now. So you get um, nothing in the middle. <laughs> right. Um, and I think even when I first started at JMU, which was only in 2020, we would see roommate conflicts and they were willing to like have a conversation. They were like, oh, I haven't had that conversation yet. I'm just upset. But now that you've told me to have that conversation, I'll go have it. If things don't resolve, we'll talk again, which is great. And now... I'm finding it harder and harder to get students to want to mediate. Once something bad has happened, they're done, which I struggle with. (laughs) I think that's really difficult to manage. um, And I think it's also really hard to manage the expectations of students, um, especially I'm seeing a lot of parental involvement. And I think it's also tough because I've experienced several parents who, when they speak to me, especially when they speak to me on the phone, not in person, I think I sound very young. And so it's like, no, I want to talk to someone different or I want to talk to your supervisor. And it's one of those things that can feel very frustrating when it's like, I have a degree in this. I, you know, this is not my first rodeo, right? I am very capable of, you know, having these conversations, giving you the outcomes, making, you know, choices, but that is not good enough. Um, for some people, which I think can be one of the more frustrating pieces. Um, But it's something that I'm seeing more now than I was even when I was younger at like JMU. When you say younger, you mean like 10 minutes ago. Yeah. (laughs) Do you have anything to attribute the change to? Are you still working? You're you're still noodling on that as to how we got here. That one's hard, I think. I mean, I think there's lots of reasons and lots of possibilities, I guess. What I try to remind myself of every day is when I'm working with, you know, say a sophomore, because I'm in a multi-year building. So when I'm working with a sophomore in this year of 2023, that means that last year, their freshman year, was their first real year in person since they were 15 years old. And when you think about 15 to 18 in high school, being in person, having conflict, experiencing conflict in person with your friends because you all like the same person or you all want the same thing or, you know, whatever, whatever the conflicts may be. When you're 15 to 18 years old and you're experiencing those in person, you kind of duke it out. You have the conflict, you get over it or you don't. But they did school online for so many of those 15 to 18 year old days that I'm like did you have conflict that wasn't on social media did you have conflict in real life with any of these people and I think that that's part of it is we're teaching them conflict now at 19 instead of 15 and so I try to be very gracious because I don't want to assume that you've experienced that already so I think that plays into it I don't know what it is about the parents I obviously (laughs) am still 
young and in this world. And I can very thankfully say that my parents are not that way. You know, we, me and my sister, like we had to do the things ourselves if we wanted to, you know, if we were having issues, um, if I was having issues at Emory, like I had to deal with it. And like, sure, I may call my mom and ask for advice, but she wasn't calling for me, you know. Do you feel like it made you a more independent person able to take care of yourself? Yeah, absolutely. My mom, though, she made us do it as kids. Like, once I had my driver's license and I could, you know, take myself to a doctor's appointment, I was making the doctor's appointment. I was taking myself. She was there for support, but she wasn't doing it because if I was leaving school, I was taking myself. And so I don't understand that piece and I don't know that that understanding will come soon for me because I'm not going to be a parent. You know, I'm not going to understand that. I yeah, know. Yeah. That's something that's a struggle for sure. It's a struggle bus, but I'm, I'm proud of you for trying to understand, even though it's so far outside your realm of understanding because it's not how you grew up. And I do appreciate what your parents have done for you because that is a gift to allow you to learn how to take care of yourself because I don't, you know, not everybody gets that. And so, so I'm glad yeah. for you. You raised the point about the fact that you are very graciously patient with the fact that these kids have had a, a weird sort of ending to their career. So did you. And I always like to, <laughs> to with these 2020 graduates, I always like to say, how are you doing? Because that was a weird time. Everybody has been so worried about the class of 2020, but everybody I've talked to is just thriving. And maybe I'm just talking to all the ones that are doing okay. I don't know. But t- <laughs> tell me what that was like and how it is sort of this far down on the other side of it. 2020 was weird. So I studied abroad in December of 20, no, of 2019. So I was on the Italy study abroad trip that went from December until January. I had been applying to grad schools that whole fall as well. I applied to six grad schools and I got offered interviews for all six. Um, And so the first half of my spring semester back at Emory, I spent doing grad school interviews because I told myself, it's fine. Once they're done, you'll be back at school with your friends for the last several weeks of the semester. My birthday is also March 20th, which is usually right after spring break for Emory. We had left for spring break or we were leaving. And then I believe that's when they said, okay, we're going to extend it by a week. Um, And so we had already made plans to celebrate my birthday on that like return day. And so my friends were like, it's okay, we'll just push it a week, we'll celebrate your birthday, we'll have the rest of the semester. And so obviously that did not happen. And I moved home, never saw any of my friends ever again, which was kind of crazy. But I think the part that I struggled with was that I had said, you know, applying to grad school, doing these interviews is fine, because you'll come back. And then we didn't come back. Um, I think if I had had those last, you know, six weeks where I had spent at different schools every weekend, I think I would have felt a little better. Um, but I think I just ended feeling very, like, unfinished. It was a weird time. Are you in touch with your, your, your friends now? Yeah. Okay, um, good. It was just, you know, for those, I mean, really, I don't think I saw anyone from Emory for probably a year. Wow. I'm trying to remember the first time I saw someone, and I think it was probably a year. Because I came up to Emory in February to get Henry, my cat. Um, And so (laughs) I came up to Emory. um, I got my cat. I saw my little um, because I was in a sorority. And 
That was the first time I'd seen anyone from Emory. Wait, where had Henry been? Henry was Josh's. Oh, okay. All right. But Josh had told me that Henry was always mine. Um, it was a whole thing. Okay, I got you. Um, I got you. But, I, I said, yeah. you know, I had this vision of like, you know, Henry, like, you know, sitting around twiddling his thumbs going, where the hell is Caroline? I don't, where is she? <laughs> no. Um, so when Josh got Henry, when Henry was a kitten, we got a tat. And so Josh had kind of joked that when I graduated, Henry was my graduation gift. But obviously, I never graduated, you know, <laughs> technically. <laughs> and so, but I came back. I got Henry. It was great. And now we're thriving up here. There was also some level of me that was a little appreciative I never wanted to walk for graduation why Um, I I really struggle with like the attention of things like graduation I did not want to walk in high school I did it because my mom was like you're walking right um I did not want to walk in college but I knew that that was like a big deal so I was going to of course but then COVID saved me a little bit I don't know it's just a lot of I don't know I would just far rather have a day you know with my friends, with my family, not, like, on this big stage. I understand. Um, I walked for grad school, but... <laughs> was that hard? It was not fun. <laughs> um, but we... <laughs> it was technically, like, we had to. Like, it was in uh, our, like, you have to walk. Yeah, it was a thing. I don't know. That's interesting. Do you, but, do you find that yeah. other people are sort of having that attitude, too? you think that's why they say you have to walk? Because people are starting to be like, I'm done with this? I think a lot of people enjoy like the excitement of it but for me it's just like I would rather a day of like kind of intentionality rather than hoopla (laughs) I don't know I like that word intentionality that makes me happy yeah all right Caroline we're 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 about out of time but I just I guess I'm gonna say as we as we part um what what are your what are your final words for anybody any, any students at Emory who are here now what's your best advice to them I think just You don't have to know yourself. You don't have to know where you're going to end up. But knowing, you know, some sort of path or direction, I think, is really important. And that path can change. But having something that you're looking forward to, I think, is really important. But also just surrounding yourself with good people. Surrounding yourself with people who make you laugh, who make you smile, who, you know, will give you a hug or sit beside you or whatever you need when you're sad. You know, I think just making sure that you have, like, spent time to build that community thoughtfully and not arbitrarily (laughs) is important. I had some really great friendships throughout my years at Emory that definitely helped me you know, become who I am today, become a better person. And I think that that's really important. And that's the advice from the mom who has 600 children. (laughs) Caroline Mosteller, Emory and Henry class of 2020. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Monica. And I hope you'll be back to visit the real Duck Pond Wall very soon. We miss you down here. And Yeah, I hope to come back soon. Okay, good. Thanks to you and thanks to everyone for listening today on WEHC. Thanks for being part of the Duck Pond Wall. Please stay tuned because WEHC FM 90.7, WISC FM WISE 90.5, this is the voice of Southwest Virginia. Mm-hmm.